I will break it down though that every single bit of research on nutrition agrees on one thing and that is to keep vegetables up. There is no one who will argue that point. This is The Law School Show. Discovering the person behind the resume. Bringing you their stories and their tips on how to succeed in your legal career. Catch it all here, right now, on The Law School Show. What is up? Chris here for The Law School Show. You are what you eat. Somebody told me that at some point. And you know what? After speaking with today's expert, it just might be true. Welcome to episode two of the On Health series. We're about to unpack nutrition. On Health is a three-part series that brings you tips and advice to improve your health as a law student and as a result, improve your career. In episode one, we discussed physical fitness. As noted, today we're talking about nutrition. And in the third and final installment, we are talking about mental fitness. On Health is brought to you in collaboration with LexisNexis Canada. LNC is in the business of providing top-tier legal information and legal research solutions. LexisNexis is a trusted source by the legal community, which includes you, the law student. LNC provides a host of tools specifically geared toward making you better at law school. I personally like the LexisNexis Practice Advisor Canada because it was built to give you what you don't get in law school, the how-to of law. Oh, and by the way, it's free to law students. Check it out. Visit the law school page at LexisNexis.ca to access career-building resources that will give you an edge. Now, our subject matter expert on the topic of nutrition advice for law students, Melissa Pearsell. Melissa graduated from the University of Windsor with an honors degree in neuroscience. From there, she decided to further her education by completing the four-year naturopathic doctor program at the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine. To achieve the naturopathic doctor title, Melissa passed two sets of licensing exams, as well as the Ontario Naturopathic Board exams. She currently works with national athletes and is the naturopathic doctor for the National Ballet of Canada. It is through specialized nutritional programs and supplementation protocols that she helps these athletes be their best and that she gives you advice to help you be your best. She lectures at the University of Toronto, York University, with numerous sports teams and for corporate wellness groups around the GTA. Melissa is very well-rounded, very well-spoken, and we're lucky to have her here today. Um, Melissa has a special interest in motivating her patients to improve their lifestyle and performance by making changes that are long-term and realistic. No quick fixes. To contact her or learn more about her, check out the links in the show notes. I can tell you that speaking with Melissa was a total privilege. She's full of vitality and info. So let's dig in. How are you? Hi, I'm great. Thanks. How are you? Very well. Thank you. Okay, let's define our terms. What, what is nutrition? Nutrition is pretty basic. It's the food that you take in in order to help you thrive. So a good nutrition is essential for your wellness. It's that simple. Simple. I like that. Okay, there's a lot of noise when it comes to nutrition advice. Um, for example, some people advocate for a paleo diet, whereas there's a lot of people who will call themselves vegans, and um, both groups will say that what they makes them feel 
right and makes them well. Um, do you have a general philosophy or approach when it comes to the nutrition advice you give your clients? Absolutely. And this is one of the heated reasons that everybody has uh, an opinion about what's the best sort of nutrition because honestly there's not one nutrition plan that works for everybody. So for instance, the paleo diet, it has a lot of wonderful health benefits, but some people, like vegans, find it's too meat heavy. And then other people will try out this keto diet, which is amazing for your brain, but actually not so good for your cholesterol or your heart. So there are so many diets. The most recent ones, there's the, the DASH diet for hypertension, there is the um, uh, Mediterranean diet, which has lots of research on it. There's the pescatarian diet. There are so many now, and you know what, to be honest with you, each one is great for its own specific group of people, and whatever their health conscious sort of mindset is, uh, they may really find that their health is better with one versus another. I will break it down though that every single bit of research on nutrition agrees on one thing and that is to keep vegetables up. There is no one who will argue that point. So law students are on a budget. Okay, what are the top five foods or, or categories of foods that you recommend they regularly have in their day-to-day -day diet? First of all, a study was done on what the most nutrient-dense foods are that are the cheapest, and what came up? Purple cabbage and black beans. Okay. So uh, that gets boring pretty quickly. So some other ideas for, for law students or anybody who's on a budget. Um, first of all, buy things in bulk, especially your grains, your whole grains like your steel-cut oats, your quinoa, your brown rice, your wild rice, those can be bought at the bulk barn for really, really quite cheap and they last a long time. Um, something else that's really good, uh, dried lentils as they're full of protein and they cook really quickly. Nobody's gonna go out and buy a bunch of kidney beans and you know it takes four hours to cook them properly, right? So we'll buy those when we can, but lentils are quick so we can just get a really good um, dose of protein and fiber from dried lentils. The next thing, an antioxidant powerhouse is berries, right? But if you buy berries in the grocery store right now, they're so expensive. And by the time you take them home, they're already halfway rotten through. Mm -hmm. Buy them frozen, okay? They're already cut, they're already washed, they're ready to go, and they're a, a no must, no fuss kind of thing to just throw right into your oatmeal or throw right into your uh, smoothie in the morning. So that can save you some money if you buy a big bag of those. Also, in terms of uh, a good snack, pumpkin seeds are excellent because they're hypoallergenic, so that means they're allowed at a lot of schools that say no no peanuts or tree nuts. They also have double the protein that all the other nuts and seeds have, so they're actually wonderful snack. That is good to know. Um, I have a couple more. Okay, root vegetables. They're not cheaper, but they last a lot longer. What, what is a root vegetable? Your beets, your sweet potatoes, your parsnips, your carrots, anything that comes up in the grocery store as dirty on the outside is a root vegetable. Now these are usually starchy veggies, but they last a really long time. And again with the berries, if you go out and buy kale or spinach or a bag of already made uh, salad, like that um, per gram is actually much uh, 
more nutrient dense than something like a root vegetable. But again, they go bad so quickly that we find that we're wasting all this. So in order to sort of budget yourself well, you can go ahead and buy some spinach, eat those on Monday, and then eat the root vegetables for the rest of the week when your spinach has already gone bad. So that's another sort of cost saving. I like that. Yeah. And an honorable mention goes to eggs. Okay. okay. Oftentimes, uh, animal products are quite expensive, especially if you're going to buy them as... Um, you know, organic. Um, eggs are the cheapest way to go for a good dose of good protein. It's also full of B vitamins and has something called choline in it, which is especially good for the brain, which law students love. Good to know. Choline. You mentioned protein a couple times uh, in terms of the pumpkin seeds, the red lentils, in terms of eggs. I also feel like, you know, between fat, carbohydrate, and protein, that protein always gets the most headlines. What What is protein and is it more important than other macronutrients? Oh, that's a great question. I would say if I had to, if I had to boil it down, I'd say that protein is the arguably the most important macronutrient. So we've got fat, we have protein, and we have carbohydrates. Carbohydrates just simply give you fuel. That's it. Okay. So if you're about to run a marathon, you need carbs. Protein helps, especially with muscles, with digestive enzyme production with immunity. So those three things are really actually important because if you're not gonna digest your food, you're not gonna absorb your food well, and you'll end up with nutrient deficiencies. If your immune system isn't good, you'll end up sick. And of course, it's always good to keep exercising so protein can help you recover from that exercise. The fat is excellent for your brain, absolutely excellent for your brain, so you can't negate the benefits of that, but I would say protein is the most important. Okay. So we talked about the good foods, now let's get to the bad. So what are the top five foods or, or categories of foods that you recommend avoiding? The winner, and probably you're not gonna get anyone who's gonna disagree with me, is going to be sugar. Yeah. Sugar is by far the worst thing we can put into our body. Um, the studies show how horrible it is for inflammation of any kind. One hyperglycemic episode can inflame our body for up to four days. That means we're basically walking inflammation all the time. So inflammation is when your pain is worse, you're feeling bloated and gassy, you may end up with more headaches, less energy, things like that. Sugar is really hard on the brain, really, really hard on the brain. It's also um, gonna lead you hungry for more. Once we open the door a little bit to a little bit of sugar, it's like a, a habitual thing where we need it, you know? We also associate being tired with not having enough food and what do we crave? It's never a chicken breast, it's sugar. Right? So sugar is probably the worst thing we can put into our body. Now, is there a difference between refined white sugar and, for example, the sugar that's in apple? Yep. The reason it's different is because apples have fiber. So fiber slows down the release of sugar into your system, which is lovely because then you don't get such a sugar hit and you won't get your highs and lows. The highs are fine, but as soon as you hit that low, we can't concentrate, our energy suffers, and we get pretty grumpy. So sugar in the form of fruit is much better even than the sugar in form of something like juice that has the fiber removed. Okay, what takes second place? Second worst? Oh, the second worst I would say is probably fried food. Um, fried food has something called trans fats added and trans fats 
are also really, really hard on your body. They're hard on your liver, they're hard on your body composition, um, and they're quite inflaming as well. So we want to avoid trans fats. The government is starting to change the rules on trans fats and not allowing them to be in as many foods as they were in, for instance, the 80s. So that's okay. good, but fried foods will always have trans fats in them. So we want to avoid that. What about, uh, I, I hear a lot about refined grains, white, white bread, white rice. Mm -hmm. is, that a, is that a culprit? I would say that goes into the sugar category because okay. once the grain has been refined, it is absorbed very easily and that turns into blood sugar very easily. So the whole grain versus the refined grain is same as the uh, juice versus the apple. It doesn't have the fiber, it doesn't have its natural integrity that takes a long time to break down. So a refined grain will be you know, contributing to our highs and lows even more than our whole grain. Anything else we should touch on? Oh goodness, now, I'm not gonna be very popular at my next one, but alcohol, alcohol. There was one study done one time that said, you know what, a little bit of wine is good, and we took that and we ran with it. Alcohol is not good for us. It's very inflaming, it interferes with our sleep. We think it helps with sleep, but it's actually uh, puts us to sleep, but then makes us wake up way earlier than we should in the middle of the night. Alcohol is not good for your bone density. Alcohol is not good for your brain. So we should try to limit alcohol as best we can. And lawyers are one of the worst <laughs> culprits for alcohol because there are so many business meetings and so many sort of That's social true. events that are uh, tied into a lawyer's day-to-day -day -day life. And I think we, we, we view it as a stress reducer Absolutely. Also. Now, is it the alcohol itself that's the danger or is it the fact that it's often accompanied by sugar? Oh, that's a good question. So alcohol and sugar are both processed in the same way through our liver. So high fructose corn syrup, for instance, is, is really, really hard on the liver just as much as alcohol is. So putting those two together is certainly a double whammy. Something like a rum and coke would be probably the worst thing you could do for your liver. But the alcohol itself has a lot of sugar in it. So it's increasing your blood sugar quickly. And then again, contributing to these highs and lows. And the fact that we're taking in I mean, it's very rare that we'll take in half a glass of wine when we're going out for drinks. We go out for a lot. So, you know, even the caloric burden on our bodies is huge with alcohol. Anything else we want to touch on with respect to the bad boys and the girls? The bad boys. Okay, one more <laughs> thing is that we're all different. Like I, I alluded to in the beginning, um, there are things that don't sit well in all of us. So some people will say, oh, you know, dairy makes me feel bloated or gluten makes me feel tired or soy makes me have acne or something like that. So there are a lot of us that have food sensitivities. The worst thing you can do is know that you've got a food sensitivity or know that something doesn't sit well and you ignore it. So people who are like, oh, but I just love the cheese. You know, you're not doing yourself any favors and we're all individual in this. So some people find that, you know, a certain class of vegetables will be really hard on them. Really listen to your body. We all know what doesn't sit well with us. We just have to pay attention and try to treat your body as well as possible. All right, I wanna, I wanna ask you a few rapid fire questions around potential myths around food. Okay, so what's the difference between the saturated uh, fat in chicken versus the saturated fat in coconut? Not, or is there a difference at all? Not that much, to be totally honest with you. So coconut, as humans, we think, well, if a little bit is good, then a lot must be much better. So people went and went crazy on this idea that maybe coconut oil is wonderful. 
Coconut oil is a shorter chain fat, a medium chain triglyceride. It's easier to break down by our bodies, especially for athletic people. We can break down fats a little bit easier as athletic people than couch potatoes. Coconut oil is a shorter fat, making it more easily used as fuel versus the longer fat that's in a lot of other animal products. So that's the first difference. But the second difference is, you know, plant versus animal, is that a huge deal? Um, not really, they both actually seem to contribute to an increase in uh, cholesterol. So it's not, the, neither of them are, are great for our heart, but um, the, the big to do about coconut oil is that it's stable when you cook so when you're using something like olive oil or flax oil to cook, you're actually changing its structure, whereas a saturated fat keeps its structure when you heat it, so it, it doesn't turn into a trans fat that's so bad, right? So in moderation, I think both are good, um, but in excess, both will contribute to heart disease. I've, I've heard that soy products in excess can be bad for men, and that it can potentially increase estrogen. Is there any truth to that? There is, there is some truth to that. Soy is an estrogen mimicker. And what that means is it can have hormonal links to certain things in your body. If you have way too much soy as a man, you can increase your baseline estrogen value. And that means you can have some feminizing characteristics. Now, for most women, we already have a high baseline of estrogen. So when we take in soy, it actually reduces our overall burden of estrogen. So for women, a high soy diet isn't so bad. For men, I wouldn't recommend a ton of soy. I think we overdo our terror of soy because mm. you really have to take a lot of it in for these hormonal changes to occur. But something sort of similar is something called xenoestrogens, and they're from plastics, and they're an estrogen mimicker that have way more research to be detrimental to both women and to men. So plastics think um, Tupperware, think Starbucks lids, think um, saran wrap. When we heat those plastics, we actually leach those estrogen-like molecules into our food. So that's way more of a concern than soy. Interesting. So it's the actual heating of the plastic that's, that's the danger? It seems like every other person I meet has a gluten intolerance. Mm -hmm. is, is gluten as big of an issue today as it appears to be? Short answer, which I never give, uh, is yes. It's a big deal because people notice that they're not feeling as well when they're taking in so many gluten-laden products. Gluten is a cash, well, it's from wheat and other grains in that wheat is a cash crop and we have genetically modified it in the last hundred years to be more concentrated and when we have a huge dose of gluten it's actually really hard on our system so then counter to that a lot of people are worried about what about all these people who are going gluten-free are they missing things from their diet and gluten doesn't give you a whole host of nutrient density, so you can get most of those nutrients elsewhere. There are some B vitamins in whole wheat, and there's some fiber as well, but you can get that from other places. Um, I recommend people do a trial of a couple of weeks without it, and then bring it back and see how it sits in your body. If you feel better without it, then listen to your body. And if it doesn't make a difference, then keep it in in moderation. But like anything else, it's usually a dose problem. Interesting. Okay, let's move on. 
I find that my nutritional choices are often connected with my daily habits. Where am I at lunchtime? You know, how do I feel at night? Um, what, what daily habits do you recommend for law students to promote good nutritional choices? Well, research says if you start your day off properly, the rest of your day you're going to make better choices. So if you start your day off by hitting snooze eight times and then running and getting a coffee and then going and get a breakfast sandwich, your day has basically been ruined. Start your day with never ever hitting that snooze button. Okay, that's a rule of all my patients, no snooze. The second thing is I like people to get up and do exercise immediately. It doesn't mean you have to hit the gym for 90 minutes as soon as you wake up. It means as simply as turning off your alarm, turning over and doing a minute of plank in bed with the covers on or doing, you know, a little bit of knees up or some wall sit or some crunches, something for a minute just to get that blood flowing a little bit. The third thing is making your bed actually helps with organizing the rest of your day, funnily enough. If you start your day and you're doing one good thing, like making your bed after you get out from your exercise, then like I said, the rest of your day seems to be a better, uh, you make better choices. Um, so making your bed is actually scientifically proven to help you with the rest of your day, funnily enough. Interesting. Um, uh, water, drink enough water for sure. That's something that we need to do. Okay, half of your weight in ounces per day. If you weigh 200 pounds, you need 100 ounces of water. 100 ounces of water. Yes. So that's roughly 10 glasses of water. Yep. Yep. Okay. So that's my, my next one. And one more thing, don't bring screens to bed. I know this seems silly and it doesn't have anything to do with nutrition, but if you're gonna get a poor sleep, you're gonna hit the snooze button and then you're gonna run around and you're not gonna make your bed and all, it's, it's a, a snowball effect. So you're saying that it's like getting on this track of positive habits right from the get-go in the morning will influence making good nutritional decisions. Absolutely. Try it out. Um, okay, I have another uh, quick question for you. People talk about fasting and the benefits of fasting. What is fasting, first of all, and do you recommend it? The general term is intermittent fasting, and the way most people intermittently fast is they will give themselves 16 hours per day that they're not eating anything. So that means there's eight hours that their food is shoved into, so three meals in an eight-hour span. Now, the reason that this works for some people with weight loss is because we eat mindlessly a lot of the time. We are constantly snacking, right? So if we're eating all day long, we can't keep track of how many, how many calories we're taking in. So that's the first thing. Secondly, when we give our body a bit of a break from this constant feeding, you're more able to use your fat as fuel. We get panicked about leaving our house without a snack in our pocket because what if I get hungry the world will end we have enough fuel on us to walk to Vancouver we have enough energy we have this misnomer that we need sugar and we need constant fuel but actually your body is quite capable of going long distances without eating now I wouldn't push it to be okay five days without eating ten days without eating but a 16-hour fast is actually found some pretty interesting research on increased antioxidants. It's as if your body has a chance to finally get to stuff that it didn't have a time to do when it's not eating. Because when we're eating all day long, 
your body is busy digesting. That takes a lot of energy out of us. So a lot of people who try the fasting actually love it. And when do you do that 16-hour fast every day? Most people do. There are some people who fast and they'll do, you know, 16 hours every day and then Sundays they won't eat anything. That's a bit more of a controversial thing. But yeah, so for instance, you'd start your day and you'd, you know, maybe have your breakfast at 10, maybe you'd have your lunch around two and your dinner around six, something like that. A lot of people say, well, I don't have time for that. So what I'll do is I'll have my breakfast at one, I'll have my, lunch around five and then I'll have my dinner around nine and that's I don't think a great strategy to eat right before bed is is going to increase heartburn and it's going to make you actually um, not digest your food as well as you're lying down so I prefer to do the intermittent fasting earlier in the day if it were up to me but yet most days people should be intermittent fasting if they find that this works for them two more questions the first one what are the top foods um, with respect to uh, our brain function. So you, you mentioned healthy fats um, or like being in a, a, a ketogenic state is good for our brain function. Um, maybe you can talk a little bit about the, the connection between nutrition and having a sharp mind. Absolutely. So the worst thing for your brain is that sugar that I talked yeah. about. So avoiding the sugar is number one. A dehydrated brain actually shrinks It's amazing, but we want to make sure you're very well hydrated so that your brain gets all this lovely hydration. The next thing is that fat. So fat is actually really important for the brain. The brain is, by and large, a big fatty organ. So when you're taking in fat, that helps to support it. Fat keeps things pliable. Fat helps to encourage um, uh, something called myelin sheath, and that is along all the nerves in your body, and it helps get messages from your brain down to your body. So encouraging better fat actually helps you be a lot sharper and have your uh, much better recall. Okay, final one. What are the benefits of good nutrition? Why should law students adopt some of these habits that we've talked about today? I think the benefits of good nutrition are absolutely endless. If it's energy you're after, good nutrition can help. If it's better focus that you're after, good nutrition can help. If you find that you're falling asleep or maybe that you can't sleep, often good nutrition can can take care of a lot, a lot of your symptoms. So you can be the best version of yourself if you have a good diet. Of course, you can still survive on a, on a not a great diet on mac and cheese. You just won't feel well doing it. So I think you can be the best version of you if you have a good nutrient balance. I think that's a nice place to end it. Great. Great. Thank Thank you. you. You've just been listening to The Law School Show. You can find all our episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, or at our website at thelawschoolshow.com. If you liked what you heard, like us again on Facebook and get the latest updates from The Law School Show. Career advancing advice right to your earbuds.